Welcome to Frost & Sullivan's Growth Innovation and Leadership Briefing. Today's event is titled, Digital Health Predictions and Trends, What to Expect in 2020. Today's presenters are Mike Jude, Victor Kamalek, Kostovo Chattery, Tandi Mathur. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Mike. Thanks for the introduction, Anna. Um, this, uh, uh, this first slide here will show you the focus points for the briefing, and um, uh, I won't dwell on it because uh, time is limited. Um, but let us go forward here. There we go. Uh, we'd like to start our uh, presentation today with a poll question. And uh, uh, Anna, could you uh, cover the uh, mechanics of that? Certainly, Mike. Audience, I have pushed forth the poll question, and if you can take a moment to select your answer. The poll question is, tell us one key technology you believe will have the most profound impact on healthcare industry during 2020. Is it artificial intelligence, digital therapeutics, telehealth, big data analytics, or is it other? So um, we'll keep this open throughout the uh, presentation, and then we'll reveal the results at the end of the session. Thanks, Anna. Now, Frost & Sullivan encourages us to start our presentations with some humor to loosen up the crowd. Uh, but since we can't actually see the crowd, it's probably best to just dive right in. Today's webinar is concerned with the future of the digital health market, not the far future, but the future of the next year and a half. This is intentional, digital health technology, and making long-term predictions would almost certainly be misleading. Uh, however, looking at where we are and the major variables influencing the growth over, say, the next 18 months seems to us to be both doable and very necessary from a business planning perspective. We've been asked why we're making predictions now, mid-year, when so many of our colleagues in the analyst community make predictions later in the calendar year. The reason is that we want to support the business planning that we know our clients are already doing. By disclosing our perspectives now, we hope to provide input to the business planning efforts that we know are already focused on building strategies for 2020. <clears throat> By providing our predictions now, we hope to provide a way to adjust course through the end of this year and build a more, for, more informed uh, plan for next year. I will try and give you some idea of the major influences that will impact the market, those to be the most influential in driving growth and opportunities. We'll also note the impediments to growth and provide some insights into emerging technologies in the digital health space. To do this, we have assembled our thought leaders in the areas of cybersecurity, data analytics, telemedicine, and femtech. After our presentation, these experts will take questions. Just to set off, uh, set the stage uh, for the balance of the presentation, uh, let's start with a brief review of the digital health market. Um, most, most of our counterparts in the analyst community have unique uh, definitions for digital health. Frost and Sullivan is no different. We define the uh, digital health to be the application of data to the delivery of healthcare using computational and telecommunications technologies to support business process workflow, clinical workflow, and patient data management. The goal of digital health is to achieve better patient outcomes while improving the efficiency and, um, uh, and containing costs. Go to the next slide here. 
just a brief review of the uh, <clears throat> uh, of the size of the market. Um, you know, obviously, digital health covers a lot of ground, but the gist of what we're concerned with is the application of technology to improve the efficacy and efficiency of healthcare delivery. As you'll see from the chart, we believe that digital health will continue to grow at robust rates through 2023, increasing from a global total of about $147 billion in 2019 to over $220 billion in 2023, composed primarily of revenues associated with uh, EHR and billing systems and services. This market is increasingly incorporating advanced technologies such as analytics, cybersecurity, telemedicine, and other specialty areas such as femtech. You know, Anna, I think I'm getting the hang of punching these slides here. Um, in fact, the growth we project depends heavily on the adoption of these advanced technologies. And for this reason, our predictions focus almost exclusively on the new technologies. Today, we'll discuss predictions in nine areas. Big data, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, data and analytics, IT-enabled employee health and wellness management, digital therapeutics, remote patient monitoring, telehealth, and femtech. To begin our discussion, I'd like to talk about some of the more fun, uh, foundational technologies for which we sing an important role in healthcare delivery, big data and cybersecurity. Starting with uh, cybersecurity, we believe that over the next 18 months, there will be a growing demand for managed cybersecurity solutions in the healthcare space. As most on this call realize, cybersecurity is a principal concern for healthcare IT. In 2018 alone, there were over 300 significant unauthorized disclosures of healthcare data reported to the U.S. Office of Civil Rights. This involved the disclosure of millions of healthcare records. Clearly, this is an unsustainable dynamic, and with regulators in the U.S. and elsewhere increasingly willing to impose significant fines for not protecting patient data, it's clear to us, anyway, that we can no longer ignore cybersecurity. However, addressing the problem is not an easy thing to do. A lack of cybersecurity professionals is making developing and deploying in-house cybersecurity strategies more difficult. In fact, now is a great time to get into cybersecurity because um, uh, you can pretty much write your own ticket. And with the cost of cybersecurity applications and hardware increasing as bad actors become more sophisticated, even large increases in security budgets are unlikely to keep up with the threat. The answer is to outsource part or all of the cybersecurity overhead, engaging with managed security service providers to leverage their expertise. This can be a good deal for healthcare IT, since rather than manning uh, SOCs and managing access, they can now address more strategic needs of the healthcare organizations they support. As a result of these dynamics, Frost and Sullivan seized the market for managed security services in the healthcare space increasing from um, about $1.79 billion in 2018 to over $2.88 billion in 2023. Great market to be in. Moving along to uh, prediction number two, cybersecurity, uh, of course, is associated with the protection of patient and business data. The logical question is, where is that data likely to reside? As healthcare applications such as uh, EHR, billing systems, clinical decision support systems, and advanced analytics drive the need for ever greater amounts of data, big data architectures are becoming a necessity. However, big data technology is expensive and complex. There are few organizations that can afford to build such facilities. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, move is de very definitely away from uh, dedicated uh, data centers to uh, more uh, distributed data centers. Large facilities to do data storage simply are not things that uh, many companies want to do. And so this very virtually guarantees that big data will reside in cloud facilities and makes cloud services a necessity as well. However, big data comes with other issues. As a previous prediction makes clear, cybersecurity is a necessity since big data lakes are often stitched together from many discrete databases. A breach of one database can expose every other database to which it is connected. In fact, when we have done surveys in the big data space, one of the number one uh, concerns of most IT professionals is uh, whether or not big data can be secured appropriately. And this brings me to the second barrier to big data adoption, <clears throat> which is data integrity. Uh, data to be useful must be trusted. That makes data cleansing and reconciliation critical to big data environments. Although not part of this prediction, it bears noting that subsidiary services such as data cleansing will likely grow as well as big data becomes a part of the computing environment. In spite of the barriers to adoption, though, Frost and Sullivan believes that big data will increasingly dominate the healthcare IT space, and we project that the global market will grow from about $16 billion in 2018 to nearly $39 billion in 2023. Um, that is a, uh, that's a global number. And the uh, uh, CAGR is uh, 19%. Now I'd like to uh, introduce uh, uh, my expert on uh, things artificial intelligence related, uh, Kustav Chatterjee. Uh, he's also our expert on digital healthcare analytics. And he'll uh, discuss our predictions for healthcare, artificial intelligence, data analysis, and IT-enabled employee health care we uh, wellness management. Uh, Kustav? Thanks, Mike. Um, the next slide, please. Can you see it okay. now? <clears throat> yes, thank you. So globally, across all industry sectors, AI has gained significant acceptance in recent past. AI's cognitive ability to find intuitive ways to convert siloed and unstructured data resources into rational and actionable evidence in real time has transformed many sectors fundamentally, including healthcare. In fact, according to Frost and Sullivan, AI has the greatest potential in healthcare, not just from the perspective of finding revolutionary ways to treat chronic or rare diseases or allow physicians or radiologists to deliver more accurate diagnosis at scale, but purely from the standpoint of how AI can augment the performance of legacy clinical, financial, and operational IT solutions. That is exactly how healthcare is different from any other sector. Healthcare AI is not perceived as a standalone product or service. It is widely regarded as an integrated technology element of incumbent IT solutions, including EMR, RCM, patient engagement, clinical decision support, and telehealth. And the reason behind such a radio focused approach is because healthcare arguably the only industry where tangible outcomes are prioritized over you know, moonshot and futuristic applications that have great potential in future, but relatively poor relevance in today's real world scenario, which we all know is right now marred by gaps in care, inefficient healthcare supply chain, and fraudulent financial transactions between payers and providers. Hence, Frost and Sullivan predicts that although the healthcare AI industry will grow at a substantial pace of 60% from 2019 to 2020, and cross the US $2.5 billion mark for the first time ever, 
the growth of revenue for healthcare IT vendors when compared against historical pattern will still be lower by almost 50% as both investors and customers will increasingly choose AI-related programs, products, and projects that expect to deliver you know, real solutions, tackle real challenges for healthcare today and not just tomorrow. And as a result, key industry participants are expected to overall their current AI strategy and invest their time managing and improving productivity of their existing solutions with AI. Top healthcare AI companies either promoting or introducing such real-world applications are Optum, 3M, IBM Watson Health, Microsoft, and Salesforce. Next one, please. Okay, so this one is on data analytics, which is equally important. So Mike talked about data management. Um, I'll talk about data analytics, which really is the next step in data management. So healthcare analytics is widely regarded as a key enabler of value-based care. And this field has become even more important today when Salesforce has recently decided to acquire Tableau for $15.7 billion. That's a huge deal, one of the biggest deals that Salesforce is involved with, and that goes on to suggest how important this market is. Because robust usage of this technology allows health systems to practice data-driven decision-making, which improves operational efficiencies, eliminates preventable cost, and streamlines clinical effectiveness. However, as we all know, analytics adoption among the global healthcare landscape, mostly among payers and providers, are not consistent. Healthcare organizations embrace a diverse array of deployment strategies that demonstrate different implementation maturity levels. For example, some health systems might utilize advanced enterprise data processing architecture, which the likes of Optum or IBM Watson or LexisNexis offer, uh, to derive patient-specific insight for every episode of care, whereas others still rely on modular reporting capabilities of plug-and-play-based tools such as Tableau, Keolik, and Arcadia, for example. In 2020, Frost and Sullivan predicts that there will be a paradigm shift in that approach, driven by macroeconomic market forces such as provider consolidation, payer scrutiny, and empowered patients healthcare data analytics will finally become a standalone technology platform solution that combine both modular and end-to-end -end analytic solutions to harmonize data at scale. And they will not stop there. They will also predict gaps in care on real time and also will suggest optimal intervention approaches well before an actual intervention is required. As a result, by 2020, more than 65% of healthcare enterprises are expected to use comprehensive analytic solutions, contributing more than $7.7 US billion uh, across the US alone. And this is just the US number. When you, um, you know, try to also arrive at the global number, it will be almost uh, 30 to 40% higher than $7.7 billion. And according to our estimate, the global healthcare data analytics market uh, by 2020 will touch the $12 billion magic figure. Providers are most receptive to use analytics today to identify, assess, and benchmark cost trends by payer, patient, and physician mix, whereas payers are likely to offer the solutions to identify quality-adjusted target prices for every episode of care. Healthcare analytics vendors will try to be disease agnostic and are expected to collaborate with major vertical solution providers via API. Uh, some of the top companies that stand out are LexisNexis, Tableau, QLake, Health Catalyst, Dimensional Insight, SAP, Arcadia, Enly Health Intelligence, Optum, Flatiron Health, and Evolent Health. Next one, please. 
<clears throat> okay, this one is employee health management, and this is based on a recent report that I did, uh, and I'm very glad that I got an opportunity uh, to do a research on employee health and, man health and wellness management. This is such an important area, mainly because, according to industry estimates, 69% of an average workforce of 20,000 employees are either suffering or at risk of major illness today, and that results in significant disruption to the operational and status quo. At a global level, employers lose an aggregate of $300 billion annually in direct medical cost and indirect productivity cost. Additionally, most of these employees are witnessing higher growth of employee benefits cost every year as their employees remain vulnerable to serious clinical risk that include various chronic conditions, comorbidities, and mental health issues that are mostly stemming from lifestyle and social behavioral attributes. Poor nutritional habits, lack of regular exercise, unique lifestyle, and care plan non-adherence are further escalating that matter for employers who in many cases are spending up to $12,600 per employee per year in total medical cost. And to tackle this global challenge, major employers are collaborating with both mature and progressive employee health management IT solution providers that are devising, deploying, and scaling clinical and wellness programs that ultimately ensure employee well-being and better financial performance through improved organizational productivity. This year, for example, North American employers have spent more on employee health and wellness programs than ever before. Many of them are also on a mission to establish a wellness-focused workplace that fosters the culture of preventive health care among all employees, regardless of their seniority, ethnicity, and designation. Uh, but however, and the challenges still persist, as most of the EHMIT solution providers that employers are partnered with have failed to improve employee health outcomes for a sustained period of time, and in many cases could not really demonstrate tangible returns, neither in the form of better cost saving nor higher productivity. Hence, an undeniable need exists for a flagship digital health platform that personalizes employee health benefits and delivers positive outcomes quantitatively. Frost and Sullivan predicts that in 2020, employee health and wellness IT market will witness entry of many progressive solutions that try to replace legacy benefits management platforms, encourage women care at workplace, and introduce mental health support to all employees, regardless of their socio-demographic orientation. As a result, globally, this market will expand by 26% to reach $1.46 billion between 2019 to 2020 and some of the top EHMIT vendors that are poised to drive that incredible revenue growth for the sector are Optum, IBM Watson Health, Collective Health, Omada, Libongo, Vida, Enterprise Health, Lyra, Happy Me, and WellTech. Thank, thanks, Gustav. Uh, very interesting um, uh, predictions. Um, now I'd like to uh, introduce uh, Victor Kamlek, who uh, is our uh, resident expert on telehealth, and he will uh, discuss uh, the areas of telehealth, remote patient monitoring, and digital therapeutics. Victor? Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I'll start with digital therapeutics and the prediction that this will drive the ICT companies into new digital health opportunities that they really want to pursue. Digital therapeutics, and I'll refer to it as DTX, offers a very exciting potential to be a true game changer in the way patients can manage their health. It will also have a strong impact on providers, payers, and the pharma industry. From a market perspective, there are ample opportunities for growth. 
The overall DTX market is forecast by Frost and Sullivan to grow by a CAGR of 30.7% during the period of 2017 to 2023. The following view is largely based on U.S. market factors. According to the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, digital therapeutics are different from wellness apps or medication reminders in that they require rigorous clinical evidence to substantiate intended use and impact on a disease state. However, some tech-based apps have become much more than simple wellness apps. So there are actually two ways to observe this market. One involves pure play companies that fit the DTA definition and are seeking to develop technology in partnership with the pharma companies to achieve Federal Food and Drug Administration approved digital therapeutic prescriptions, while others are developing tech-based solutions that will improve the ability of providers to help patients modify their behavior. This approach offers a true potential to be very appealing to the employer benefit plan managers and payers. The major point here is that DTX will increasingly spur the interest of ICT companies, information communications and technology companies, or are commonly referred to as high-tech companies, to build a strategy that will enable them to snag a new piece of the 3.5 trillion U.S. healthcare expenditures and the global healthcare expenditures that are currently in the eight to $10 trillion stage and rising. The common goal is that a patient will have an increased potential to improve their medical outcomes, augment or replace the traditional drug while lowering the cost of care. Technology in the form of online access to coaching, personalized content, social networking peer groups, apps for their wearables and smart devices, sensors and services promise to get closer contact with the providers. These are all part of the mix of digital therapeutic solutions. Companies like Pear Therapeutics, Voluntis, Click Therapeutics are already visible in the pure play space, while others like Adherus Health, Between MD, and Vita are developing technology aimed at patient behavior management that go well beyond simple wellness apps. The common requirement across this market will be the need for randomized studies that provide an acceptable proof of concept, either from a government agency like the US FDA or a trial that includes a well-respected medical institution. Measurable proof of concept is vital to the success of DTX market participants. Meanwhile, the large ICT companies are watching this space very closely. We all know that companies such as Amazon, Microsoft, Alphabet, Google, Verizon, Facebook, Apple, and Samsung, among others, want to increase their presence within the healthcare space. However, their progress has been inconsistent and marked by peaks and valleys of interest. We believe that DTX will create a universe of opportunity for the ICTs to ramp up their investment and M&A strategies to become more involved as DTX market participants. Preston Sullivan believes that DTX will provide the tipping point that offers the attractive market opportunities that fit well within the comfort zone of the ICTs and offer an extended opportunity to gain impressive new revenue streams. 2020 will be a year marked by the ICTs becoming more visibly active in this space. The next one is about uh, DTX market, uh, about digital opportunities and with RPM beginning to attract the interest beyond just the chronic condition management. RPM is an important digital health technology that is poised for growth but has lagged behind the revenue potential that many industry trackers originally projected. The most familiar challenges have been the lack of a standardized reimbursement model and the unwillingness of providers to increase the scale of their RPM deployments. Among another issue that's centered around the limited use of medical grade RPM that is geared only for chronic conditions 
post-acute care, and home health agency deployments. However, there are tangible opportunities for growth. Preston Sullivan forecasts that the medical-grade RPM market will grow from $855 million in 2017 to reach $2.5 billion by 2023. This represents a 2017 to 2023 CAGR of approximately 19.8%. The projected growth includes the expectation that RPM medical-grade technology will be used to manage more than chronic conditions. This component of growth will be driven by the increasing awareness among health among consumers about health monitoring, concerns about the projected shortages among physicians and specialists, along with the aging population. We believe that the difference between medical-grade monitors and mass market devices will become less black and white, and 2020 will be the year that when we see more mass market RPM products approved for patients for use as part of an RPM system. The momentum of BYOD, or bring-your-own-device RPM solutions, as an option offered by companies such as Vivify Health, will be visible in 2020. For RPM can be utilized to address concerns that many patients reside in areas that are designated by the U.S. as underserved by healthcare professionals. This problem spells opportunities to use RPM to prevent the huge cost and personal suffering that go with chronic conditions by using this technology to manage health and wellness in addition to those people who are already afflicted with one or more multiple chronic conditions. For example, many patients are using mass market personal fitness trackers to gauge their physical condition and are able to report concerns to their physicians. There are studies such as the Stanford Apple Watch study that in its initial findings highlight the potential role that innovative digital technology can play, creating more predictive and preventive healthcare. Frost and Sullivan projects that by the end of 2020, RPM will have evolved from its earlier status as a risky way to minimize readmission penalties for providers to an exciting tool that can support preventive health care and wellness, clinical decision support, employer health plans, and population health management. Companies to watch in this space include Medtronic, Residio, Philips, Vivify, and newer entrants such as Modisante. These companies are propelling the value of platform-based solutions that involve more options for providers to fulfill their business needs. More importantly, the expanded use of RPM will enable providers support the health-related requirements of their patient population. The next one is about digital health convergence accelerating as telehealth segments blend to become an end-to-end -end solution. Early views of the telehealth market tended to focus on four major segments, remote patient monitoring, virtual visits, mHealth, and personal emergency response systems. Although this continues to be valid, Preston Sullivan predicts so by the close of 2020, these segments will increasingly overlap as the whole market value becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Sure, we predict that the year-over-year -year growth will be high, jumping from 22.8% in 2016 to 35.5% in 2019, yet it will begin to level off to a robust but smaller annual growth starting in 2020. The four market segments will become more closely linked. This will spark significant M&A events. Telehealth is about to cross over to a new phase that will see it become a vital standard of care rather than a new age substitute utilized with great trepidation by some patients and healthcare providers. The telehealth value proposition includes time savings offered to patients who can get an initial assessment or full-scale treatment regimen started or revised without the need to visit the provider's office. For example, telehealth offers the potential to avoid the productivity 
and quality assurance concerns that are associated with the time away from the job for staffers to spend traveling to and from doctors or waiting in their office or simply trying to come to work while battling nagging symptoms that simply hamper their ability to be productive. Here are a couple of examples. Chipmunk Health, a telehealth provider in Canada and the Netherlands announced in May that it will leverage the Philips Health Digital Suite. This will add the Philips GP to patient home monitoring solution to Chipmunk service. The telehealth suite features capabilities to connect devices, collect personal health data, store and share data securely, analyze data, and build and deploy AI models to create solutions on the cloud. InTouch Health offers one platform to provide a seamless experience for patients and providers. The company boasts of over a million telehealth virtual care sessions over the InTouch Telehealth Network. In addition, Ashna Health System offers Anywhere Care, a telehealth service which is powered by virtual visit provider American Will. In April 2019, Ashna announced a new partnership with Tito Care, the makers of an all-in-one modular device and telehealth solution for on-demand remote medical monitoring exams. This service combines the virtual visit with a remote examination monitoring capability. Companies like InTouch, Vivify Health are transforming telehealth from distinct services to a platform that integrates various telehealth offerings that can be used by providers and accessed by patients. Russ and Sullivan predicts that these platforms will increase their deployment in 2020 as telehealth migrates to an end-to-end -end platform that providers can deploy based on their specific goals and objectives. Mike? Thanks, Victor. Um, uh, very interesting. Uh, now I'd like to introduce uh, Chandni Mathur, who will be talking about an area that's increasingly important to digital health, and that's femtech. Chandni? Thanks, Mike. The next step prediction is femtech. It includes the universe of mobile applications, services, and wearables that use technology to improve women's health and well-being. Femtech will become a critical component of women's health care and will be among the top five investment areas in digital health moving forward. According to research, 90% of women are the primary healthcare decision makers for their households and are also responsible for 80% of healthcare, family healthcare planning. Women are slowly being recognized as an important market and they make up 50% of the total population and the economic burden for women's diseases is currently more than $500 billion. Now that is a huge addressable market to target. Never before have women been more keen on taking a proactive role in decisions concerning their day-to-day lives, such as education, career, marriage, family planning, and most importantly, healthcare, particularly the management of their own health, their chronic conditions, and elderly care. Furthermore, the rise of this economy, these women are also making great strides in terms of our economic contributions, purchasing power, and also in holding key positions in corporate. As we continue to multitask, our health and well-being needs to become more and more important. Women realize that, and 75% of us are more likely to use digital health tools as compared to men. Designing solutions targeting them will become more and more relevant. We have seen some good investments in this space as well. Investor funding in Femtech in 2018 was spent at nearly $650 million, up 32% from about $100 million just five years back in 2013. Until April 2019, we have already seen VC funding worth $241 million. Now, Frost and Sullivan predicts that if this trend continues, 
we will see funding in this in this space near the billion dollar mark in 2020 now the critical question what is in it for you as a medtech and a pharmaceutical company looking at expanding in the women's health space partnering or acquiring uh, you know the appropriate femtech company would be very important a key point here we have seen a lot of growth in the reproductive and the menstrual health uh, area Now that is poised to be the fastest growing sector in femtech in, in the coming years as well as a supplier or vendor in this space uh, in, in the femtech space the investment community's eyes are wide open and they are on the lookout and are ready to invest in this space because they see the massive potential it holds it will be important as a vendor in this space to focus on the product market fit and potential to scale to attract more investment back to you mike Thanks a lot, Chandni, and uh, thank you to all the panelists uh, to this point. Um, this was an awful lot to cover in a short presentation, but as I indicated, we'll have uh, time for questions a little bit later. Of course, the predictions we have just reviewed are specific to particular markets, and our analysis often goes much deeper than simple mar mar market metrics. Uh, for the balance of this presentation, we'd like to focus on four specific areas where we see opportunities for the market players. The first growth area which we have seen opportunities uh, really skyrocket in the last year or so and uh, obviously into the next year and a half is uh, in healthcare managed cybersecurity services. As I noted previously, this is a growth market with a projected US revenue of nearly 3 billion by 2023 and a CAGR of 10%. This potential is being driven by the desire of healthcare providers to acquire state of the art cybersecurity capabilities. without the necessity of building discrete cybersecurity infrastructure of their own or at the very least not having to do so by themselves the beauty of this market is that it is virtually guaranteed to grow regulations associated with protecting patient information are only going to tighten with a commensurate increase in fines for breaches and the effect of such breaches is now in a position to impact the quality of care delivered to patients the cybersecurity managed services market can be subdivided into the professional services side that is cybersecurity auditing strategy design and so forth and outsourced cybersecurity where functions like security operations centers are actually handled by a third party healthcare IT organizations can require all of these capabilities of course and are motivated to seek them out in many cases as i noted before because of the expertise gap, gap or because of cost considerations The obvious virtue is to transform a fixed cost overhead into a variable cost. And we see this being most attractive to the healthcare provider sector where investment in cybersecurity has been most lacking over the last few years. Obviously insurance and payer communities have always been data intensive, and so the motivation has been historically to spend more on security. Consequently, the opportunity to provide services in that space is a little bit less. Companies that are moving to take advantage of this need for cybersecurity support include the traditional cybersecurity firms and right now uh, Frost and Sullivan is tracking in excess of 600 firms offering cybersecurity solutions as well as companies that are moving to develop specific healthcare solutions companies such as FireEye, Optiv, Rackspace, Unisys and IBM are looking to provide various managed capabilities while companies such as Improvada are developing specific healthcare solutions and are providing front-end professional services support to address specific needs. Moving along, uh, the second area of substantial growth opportunities is in the area of big data. 
As we noted, Frost & Sullivan projects that this market will grow at a CAGR of 19%, with a total global potential of about almost uh, $40 billion uh, by 2023. The U.S. market will be just under half of that, uh, or at about $19 billion in 2023. Big data is a necessary foundation for other advanced technologies and will increasingly be a necessary adjunct to such things as interoperability, advanced analytics, and AI. Expect big data technologies to be adopted extensively in the player, in the payer and insurance communities, as well as large hospital systems, especially, uh, especially research hospitals, where large amounts of historical data is stored and accessed. Increasingly, though, the need to share information or interoperability will drive big data adoption within the EHR vendor communities and will form the basis of, for the evolution of such applications as clinical decision support. Yet, as I noted before, there are significant barriers to the adoption of big data. Foremost of these is the need to reconcile or clean the data that is put into such data lakes. Big data can amplify the old notion of garbage in, garbage out. As noted, though, as big data increases in importance, data cleansing applications and services will see increasing demand. Major players in the big data space uh, are probably well known to this audience, but include such companies as Akamai, AWS, IBM, and MongoDB. There are others, and they are all interested in the healthcare space. It is important to note that in the case of many solution providers, there is a significant upfront cost associated with application planning. That is, you can't just slap big data solutions into an IT infrastructure and expect a return. You basically have to build your big data application big data infrastructure around the applications that you intend to plug into it. Additionally, since big data is overhead intensive, it is natural to think in terms of cloud storage services such as a quick, uh, as a quick way to enter the big data world. Victor, I'm going to turn it over to you for the next one. Okay, digital therapeutics which we just talked about, to review the overall U.S. digital therapeutics market revenue will reach $4.42 billion in 2023. This represents a five-year CAGR of 30.7%. The pure play prescription digital therapeutics will comprise only 21.9% of these revenues in 2019. This indicates a robust growth potential for solutions beyond those that align with the Pharma R&D and Digital Therapeutics Alliance certification model. This means that digital therapeutics is an early stage market that includes pure play digital therapeutics and other technology services that will claim to be in this domain. The precise definition of digital therapeutics will probably not be officially standardized in the near term. This header will support a, a wide array of innovative opportunities that include medical grade and intensive direct to consumer solutions. From a functional perspective, the opportunity will be to provide a software application social networking, real-time monitoring, coaching, or an educational component that can augment or replace a drug regimen and achieve results by virtue of intensive behavior management techniques. Critical success factors. Measurable proof of concept based on randomized trials will be required. Some pure play companies will partner with pharma companies and pursue the FDA certification model. Other mass market developers will pursue their own trials by partnering with large providers will be the target buyers. Companies to watch include Pair Therapeutics, Voluntis, Amada Health, Propella Health, WellDoc, Click Therapeutics, and others. 
major ITC companies such as Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Verizon, and social networking giants like Facebook and tech giants like Apple and Samsung are watching this space with many dollars to invest or acquire, compete, uh, acquire promising firms. Moving on to the RPM space. To review, the U.S. RPM market will grow from $855 million in 2017 to reach $2.5 billion by 2023. This represents a 2017 to 2023 CAGR of 19.8%. This includes chronic condition management, post-acute care, and long-term care by home health agencies. This means that the market is poised to grow as progress in reimbursement models advance the ability to support the current focus of chronic conditions, post-acute care, and long-term care management. The growth will really accelerate as RPM is utilized for less serious conditions and wellness. The shift to value-added payment systems will be a long-term driver of RPM growth. Traditionally, growth had been sparked by a penalty avoidance model that was viewed by many experts as a negative incentive and not sustainable. This is about to change. CMS annual guidelines have been a slow but steady game changer. Critical success factors. Success is no longer a function of simply producing devices. The current opportunity is comprised of a mix of companies that produce devices, platforms, data management, and services. Philips and Medtronic have embraced the services model. Philips has transformed its RPM model to a data-driven solution geared to support population health management. Vivify Health has made substantial progress by introducing customized solutions, end-to-end platforms, and advisory services. However, the market has seen many large players such as Bosch and Honeywell exit or spin off their RPM products. The so what of all this, based on the early history of RPM, is that devices alone will not guarantee success. Rather, a strategy that includes a platform or larger ultimate objectives, such as gearing RPM to be the foundation of a PHM business, is what the winning companies will do. Mike? Thanks a lot, Victor. Um, in conclusion, uh, before we get to the survey results and the questions, um, I think it's apparent that uh, digital health, uh, we believe in Prost and Sullivan, is growing, uh, but it's a complex market. Uh, with an overall uh, uh, CAGR of 12%, uh, uh, 2018 2023, we don't believe it's going to see any significant declines in the near future at, at any rate. Yet this growth is uh, largely uh, dependent upon uh, new technologies being introduced and furthermore adopted, as well as new uh, areas of uh, um, medicine uh, are pursued. And so, for example, uh, AI, uh, cybersecurity, and femtech all become very uh, critical to the growth of the market overall, ultimately be, uh, obtaining a dominant position in terms of investment within that market. Um, the predictions that we made today form the foundation uh, for our uh, digital health market research. So everything that you heard in today's presentations are uh, top of mind for us in upcoming reports as well as uh, continuing research efforts uh, as, as we uh, approach 2020 and beyond. Uh, digital health is only going to increase in importance and it's rational because it's really the only option in the global market to both improve the patient outcomes as well as reduce costs and uh, also to do things like uh, deliver personalized health care. Um, 
and uh, you know healthcare that's uh, available from uh, any location uh, on a 24 by 7 basis. So we really appreciate your attention today. Uh, we will now go to uh, I think Anna to review the results from the survey, and then we'll take some questions. Yes, Mike. Yeah, sure, Mike. So these are the results here. It looks like 48% of our audience indicated artificial intelligence. 20%, it's a split, indicate telehealth and big data analytics, excuse me. And then lastly, 12% is digital therapeutics. So um, those are the results of the, uh, the poll question that we asked. And so I see that we have a lot of questions coming in. So let's go ahead and get started to uh, answer some questions here. Our first question reads, what are the key growth opportunities for AI in healthcare? And how are they different globally? Kustav, uh, would you like to take that? Sure, absolutely. Um, so definitely I'm not surprised to get that question. In fact, I just came back from GDS Summit where me and uh, one of my colleagues, Greg Carisi, have delivered a presentation on AI for healthcare, and I got that question there as well. So uh, in order to answer that question, I would like to basically stratify the growth opportunities in five different ways. Um, so when, when we talk about AI in healthcare, we basically focus on how AI can be used across the clinical, financial, and operational uh, solutions within healthcare. And when we did the research um, from that perspective, we basically found out that there could be five ways AI can generate tremendous opportunities for both healthcare IT vendors as well as uh, the buyers, uh, meaning payers and providers. Uh, first one is predict diseases. Globally, when I did the research across different nations, not only in the U.S., this uh, remained the number one reason why payers and providers would like to invest on AI. The prediction of possible injuries and ident identification of disease hotspots via real-time tracking and visualization of population health data are certainly the latest way to validate disease prevalence, forecast patient volume, expedite intervention, and assess the efficacy of popular drugs and care plans. The next one is personalized diagnosis. For the last few years, we have done a lot of research um, in the field of precision medicine and precision care. I know Victor talked about digital therapeutics as well today on the webinar. So uh, all those concepts are related to one single notion that the diagnosis that physicians, radiologists, or any care provider does on real time at point of care has to be personalized, has to be specific to every patient's clinical, behavioral, and financial orientation. Uh, up, up until now, it was really difficult for physicians to combine that different data set and arrive at that holistic prediction um, about one patient and which particular intervention or diagnosis he is most suited for or relevant for. AI has the answer. So customization of treatment workflows based on real-time integration of patients' clinical, financial, social data, as well as genomic insight is the most effective way to really find that ideal intervention option for, excuse me, for that patient. And for maximum impact, AI algorithms are also considering incumbent research evidence and regulatory guidelines before recommending next steps. And that is extremely important because when we talk about the ethical obligation of AI in healthcare, we often get that 
you know, uh, doubt that whether the algorithm is holistic in nature, whether the algorithm is making judgment based on a data set which is representative of my population demographics. So since this question has always bothered both researchers, innovators, and physicians, um, you know, more and more companies are now also combining, apart from patients' data, uh, but also, you know, clinical research evidence that, you know, peer-reviewed research papers generate on a daily basis. So more progressive and holistic AI algorithms are combining patient-generated data as well as research data to find the most optimal intervention strategy for the patient. The next growth opportunity is related to the, um, you know, huge concern that, you know, physicians and coders has, and that relates to clinical documentation. We know that on an average, uh, in, a, in a physician practice across the U.S. today, physicians spend less time attending to patients and more time doing coding and you know, ensuring that the clinical documentation guidelines are properly made. Um, and, and, uh, and that leads to huge physician fatigue and physicians are getting really overwhelmed with that sort of responsibility being imposed on them by either CMS or private insurance companies. AI has the answer there too. So AI has the ability to automate a lot of uh, clinical documentation tasks and at the same time, if the clinical documentation is still done manually, AI has the potential to quickly um, you know, identify any red flags that, that might occur or any gaps uh, that might resist there. So AI, has, the, AI has, has a huge potential to basically automate clinical documentation and coding on behalf of both physicians and coders, and, and that will result in um, you know, tremendous cost saving and quantitatively improve the performance of the practice overall as well. The fourth one is again related to the financial uh, ecosystem within healthcare, and that deals with uh, you know, pre-authorization of claims. I get a lot of requests from revenue cycle management companies, and they always try to analogy which can effectively authorize claims before they are uh, submitted to um, you know payers. Um, historically speaking, the U.S. healthcare um, marketplace has a record of submitting 90 to 95% claims which are pre-authorized, but that is not sufficient. Again, the 5 to 10% delta, which I talked about, um, may lead to actual millions of dollars of revenue being leaked. So AI has the potential to pre-authorize claims for providers, and payers can also get those clean claims being submitted on first pass rate that will really um, improve the payer-provider collaboration and ultimately result in more claims being approved by payer, more money coming into the provider, and patients are also getting the timely service um, uh, as they require. And the fifth opportunity is optimized compliance. This is from the perspective of how AI can be used to help payers and providers uh, comply with regulatory guidelines. Um, you know, quality reporting, including clinical reporting and financial reporting, are extremely important for all payer provider today in a value-based care environment. Um, and AI has the potential to help both those parties, um, you know, comply with regulations, and if not comply with regulations, but at least highlight the guidelines that need to be met by both payers and providers. And in doing that, uh, it allows payers and providers about their responsibilities and liabilities, and they can then arrange their internal workflow and workflows accordingly so that they remain and they're poised to, um, 
um, you know, meet all the compliance criteria of either CMS or other uh, private or public regulatory agencies. So on, on a broader level, um, these are the five growth opportunities, which also are very consistent across the globe. And the only difference between the U.S. healthcare marketplace and um, in the other marketplace, especially from the developing countries, are the fact that the U.S. remains focused on challenges that are real, challenges that are, um, you know, uh, you know, troubling payers, providers, patients today versus um, a country like China where the focus is totally on innovation. So they would rather focus on AI products that can solve some far-reaching problems in healthcare, and, and they're doing extensive research, mainly aided by public health support from government agencies to, uh, to really create new workflows, um, you know, build new product lines, create new drugs, for the healthcare landscape. So that's the fundamental difference. The US and other mature markets are focusing on you know, today's challenges, whereas the developing nations, mainly aided by government funds, are focusing on more progressive and innovative approaches. That's all. Mike? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Gustav. Um, Anna, uh, additional questions? We have time for one more question here. Any other questions, uh, we'll address that offline. So the last question here, in femtech, what application areas would we expect activity in the future? Uh, Chani, I think that's yours. Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. Thank you for that. So um, femtech has already had high potential, uh, high potential in improving the overall efficiency for screening and diagnosis, powered by cutting technology, cutting edge technology such as artificial intelligence, big data, and analytics. Now, we've seen a lot of activity in this space, especially in the menstrual, reproductive, and maternal health space. And, you know, with the typical uh, product uh, being the wearable and the mobile app combination. Uh, we've seen a lot of support from the investment community, and not just the investment community, but also the regulatory bodies have supported products in this space with, uh, you know, for example, the first ever mobile application for contraception was Natural Cycles that received the CE approval for, as a class two medical device to be marketed in Europe in 2017. Uh, also, AVA, which is a fertility tracking wearable, received in, uh, you know, approval as a class two medical device in 2016. Now, while these are areas which have already been explored and we still expect a lot of activity in the coming years, uh, we also see menopause <coughs> and mental health, especially postpartum depression and anxiety as uh, areas for a lot of activity and growth in this areas. There's a lot of stigma associated with these, uh, with these uh, phases of a woman's uh, you know, typical reproductive life cycle. And uh, people who are attacking this and targeting solutions to uh, you know, manage these conditions in uh, women are going to see a lot of growth. Now, you know, uh, we, as, as a company who wants to delve into this further, you know, you need to really understand what the drivers and the motivating factors are that are, that are going to increase the usage of these device, um, enhance the overall patient perception, and encourage better engagement, patient engagement. These are going to be absolutely critical elements for Femtech to reach its maximum potential in the coming years. Thank you, Chandi. Thanks. 
So uh, this concludes today's session. Now we do invite you to schedule a growth strategy dialogue, a complimentary open discussion with the Frost and Sullivan Growth Strategy Consultant, and a tenured industry analyst. I have provided some details on your screen at this time. Please reach out to us. And we want to thank everyone for joining us today.